Welcome to the Real Life Cooking Podcast. I'm Kate Shaw, and this is a bonus episode. I didn't want to run it as a regular episode since there's no recipe involved, although I do give some information about baking soda and baking powder toward the end. A lot of people are graduating right now from high school or college and may be thinking about moving into their first apartment. If you've never lived on your own, especially if you don't have much experience with cooking, you may not be sure what you need to equip your first kitchen. So let's talk about kitchen equipment. But first, keep in mind that what one home cook considers a vital piece of equipment that no kitchen should be without, the next home cook has never even used that piece of equipment. You can find lists of kitchen necessities all over the internet, and each one will be different. Here, I'm only talking about the truly bare necessities. I don't even bring up small appliances like mixers and food processors. This is a list you can build on to make your own kitchen work for you. At bare minimum, you're going to need a pot big enough to boil water for spaghetti noodles and a skillet big enough for a couple of good-sized pork chops. A skillet is the same thing as a frying pan. Both your pot and your skillet should have lids. Ideally, the pot should be heavy steel with a copper bottom if you can afford it, and the skillet should either be heavy steel or cast iron. I own a good cast iron skillet, but I actually use a steel one for preference just because it weighs so much less. I don't recommend that you get non-stick because even modern non-stick coatings are easy to scratch up and ruin. You need pots and pans you don't need to baby. If you buy a new cast iron skillet, Don't worry too much about all the information online about seasoning it. Just oil it well, and when you're done using it, instead of washing it out with soap, scrape it clean with hot water and a spatula or a scraping tool. Wipe it dry with a cloth, then set it on the stove over the lowest heat your burner will manage until all the moisture evaporates off the metal. If you do this every time you use it, it'll become seasoned nicely after a while, and you won't need to oil the skillet every time you use it. But if you wash it out with soap, you have to start the seasoning process all over again. My mom never understood this. She was a little bit of a germaphobe and could not stand the thought of not scrubbing out a skillet with soap and hot water. When I was in my 20s, sometimes I'd come home from work and discover that mom had cleaned my apartment for me. That was really nice of her because I was a complete slob back then, but she would always scrub my skillet with soap and ruin the lovely natural coating iron develops. Anyway, one pot with a lid, one skillet with a lid. It's also nice to have a second pot, maybe a smaller one so you can use it as a saucepan. If storage is an issue, the small pot will probably nest in the larger pot, and you can put the lids in the drawer underneath your oven if it has one. You will also need at least two mixing bowls, one large, one medium-sized. Mixing bowls often come in sets of three or four, with the small one being barely larger than a big cereal bowl, and the big one being huge enough to hold rising bread dough. If you have room for the whole set and can afford it, I recommend you buy them all. I don't use the giant-sized mixing bowl very often, But when I need it, I absolutely need it and nothing else will do. 
Your mixing bowls should not be plastic. Plastic is too hard to keep clean, since bacteria hide in scratches in plastic. Metal bowls may react with some foods, especially eggs, causing a nasty taste in the finished recipe, so I don't recommend metal for your primary mixing bowl set. But if your only choice is metal versus plastic, get the metal. You'll need at least one baking sheet, also sometimes referred to as a cookie sheet. This may be completely flat with no sides, or it may have low sides with a shallow sort of gutter around the edges. You'll use it for cookies, but also for scones, biscuits, and things like that. You can buy nonstick if you want. You will also need two pans if possible, one 9x13 and one 9x9. The larger pan is good for sheet cakes, meatloaf, lasagna, roasting chicken, and so forth. The smaller pan is good for brownies, sweet potato casserole, baking a few chicken thighs, and things like that. I don't recommend you buy non-stick for these, but it can be hard to find non-non-stick pans. Pyrex glass dishes work great in the oven, though, and aren't expensive. They're also usually easier to clean than metal and hold up extremely well to constant use. I have Pyrex dishes and mixing bowls I was given decades ago and have managed not to break them or even chip them. And if you know me, that is sort of a miracle. I go through a lot of dishes. You definitely need a strainer or a colander of some kind for draining pasta and things like that. These aren't expensive and they're all pretty good, but avoid plastic ones. You should also get at least one airtight canister or jar to keep your flour in so bugs won't get into it. And I also keep my sugar, cornmeal, and brown sugar in airtight jars. So, one pot with a lid, one skillet with a lid, at least two mixing bowls, at least one baking sheet, a 9x13 pan, a 9x9 pan, a colander, and large storage jars. If you don't have a lot of money to spend, check secondhand shops. A lot of them have perfectly good kitchen items for very little money. Some other suggestions if you have the money and space are cupcake pans, both 6-hole and 12-hole, a couple of loaf pans for bread, go for the larger sizes rather than smaller, a deep dish pie plate, a very deep large roasting pan for turkey, a couple of 9-inch cake pans, and a nice big stock pot for making stock, boiling a hen or brisket, and making enough soup to feed a small army. Next, let's look at smaller items you need in the kitchen. Presumably, you already have some flatware. Knives, forks, spoons, big spoons, and so on. Don't forget to pick up a potato peeler, a cheap cheese grater, which is useful for so much more than cheese, and, of course, a can opener. You definitely need some measuring spoons and measuring cups, too. You will also want a paring knife and a good serrated knife. It's worth buying the best knives you can afford, but the paring knife I use most cost me $1, so you can make do with the cheap ones if you need to. Kitchen shears are absolutely worth a couple of dollars and are incredibly useful for cutting up meat, opening packages, and even twisting off lids to small jars since most kitchen shears have grippers on the inside parts of the handles for opening lids. Don't forget to buy a spatula or two. Plain old metal spatulas are best since they won't melt if you forget and leave them sitting in a hot pan. While you're at it, get a rubber spatula to help you get every drop of batter out of a bowl 
or every drop of sauce out of a jar. A big wooden spoon not only looks nice in the kitchen, maybe sitting up in a decorative jar with your rubber spatulas, it's also really useful. Get a high-quality one if you can afford it. The cheap ones tend to get splintery, and I've had more than one break on me. You need to hand-wash wooden spoons after you use them. Then rub a little olive oil into the wood to keep it from drying out. I have several and use them all the time, especially for stirring stews and soups where even a big metal spoon is too short and not big enough. I also have a very long-handled thin wooden spoon I use for stirring up liquids in jugs, like lemonade and sangria, but one good wooden spoon should get you started. So, basics of small items in the kitchen are paring knife, serrated knife, metal spatula, rubber spatula, potato peeler, kitchen shears, cheese grater, measuring cups and spoons, can opener, and a big wooden spoon. There are all sorts of gadgets you can get in addition to this stuff, of course. It's up to you, but some things I find useful are a medium-sized whisk, which I mostly use for blending dry ingredients easily, a microplane for easily zesting citrus, a meat thermometer, metal cookie cutters, a bread knife, and a cutting board. If you know someone who's moving to their first apartment or house but aren't sure what to get them as a housewarming gift, I recommend a good tea kettle and a set of nice measuring spoons and or cups. You can never have enough measuring spoons and cups, and a really good tea kettle that you can heat on the stove rather than an electric one It's not only decorative, but useful for many different things, not just heating water for tea. Finally, let's look at food staples. When I moved into my first apartment, my mom basically gave me all her kitchen pots and pans. She was a terrible cook and never really used them anyway. But my first night on my own, I realized I had no food. So I went to the grocery store by myself for the very first time, to buy food for my very own apartment. It was thrilling and amazing, and I remember every second of walking through Kroger's with my basket, wondering if everyone else noticed me and thought about how adult I was. Good God, I was young. But I also remember not being sure what I needed to buy. Certain food items are considered staples. That is, things you need to keep on hand because you use them all the time. Bread, milk, cheese, eggs, butter, and peanut butter are all staples. So are flour, sugar, rice, baking powder, baking soda, salt, and pepper. Depending on your diet and food interests, what you consider staples will vary from what I consider staples. I always keep limes on hand, for instance, but most people don't consider limes a staple. But I love them and use them a lot. On your first shopping trip, get the foods and ingredients you can build on to make a simple recipe or a simple meal, like a sandwich. If you make a shopping list, that will help you keep expenses down while ensuring you don't forget something important. One thing to remember, and I'm really bad about this even now, is to only buy perishable foods that you know you can use up before they go bad. I get paid monthly, so when my paycheck comes in, I usually go on a big grocery shopping trip. I've usually got lots of new recipes in mind to try or old favorites to make as soon as I can afford the ingredients I don't already have on hand. But often what happens is I don't work out my menus ahead of time, so I'll buy everything I need for five new recipes 
then discover I literally can't eat that much food before the perishables go bad. So before you put 15 kinds of fresh fruits and vegetables on your big shopping list, make sure that you're actually going to use all 15 kinds within a week or so of buying them. So that's my advice, which I hope will help anyone who's starting a new household. But for those of you who aren't, here's some food information you may not know. It's the difference between baking soda and baking powder. Baking soda is sodium bicarbonate. You use it when other ingredients in the recipe contain acids, like vinegar, citrus of various kinds, sour cream, buttermilk, and yogurt, but also cocoa, honey, brown sugar, and molasses. Baking soda is ready to go as soon as you combine the wet ingredients with the dry. Don't let it rest before baking. Baking powder contains its own acidifying agent, cream of tartar. Baking powder is usually called double-acting because it acts like baking soda, which starts to release gas as soon as it gets wet, but then also releases even more gas when it gets hot in the oven. The gas release is a chemical reaction that makes your cake or whatever rise and get fluffy instead of staying flat like a cracker. If you're out of baking soda, you can use baking powder in the recipe, although you may need to add more of it. But if you're out of baking powder, you're out of luck, unless the recipe contains an acid. Then you can substitute baking soda for baking powder. Look, I'm reading this out loud off a paper and I'm still confused. Don't stress too much about it. Just try to keep both baking soda and baking powder in the cupboard. The kind of baking soda that's sold as a cleaning product is literally the exact same kind that's sold for baking, so get whatever's cheaper. I keep a box in the cupboard, and when it's a few months old, I'll swap it out for a new box and put the old box in the back of the fridge to absorb odors. Keep in mind that baking soda is a base, and its job is to neutralize acid while fluffing up your food. If you add more baking soda than you have acid to neutralize, the finished food will taste kind of weird and metallic. Also, if you want your finished dish to have an acid tang, you don't want to add so much baking soda that it's all neutralized. Many recipes call for both baking soda and baking powder, but the baking soda will always be in a smaller amount. Before you go jiggering around with the amounts of your leavening agent, Remember that baking powder actually contains baking soda. Many people abbreviate baking soda to just soda. So if you read a recipe that calls for soda, baking soda is what it means. If the recipe genuinely wants you to add some Coca-Cola, it'll say so specifically. Thanks for listening. You can find Real Life Cooking Podcast at reallifecooking.blueberry.net. That's blueberry without any E's. Now, get out there and enjoy your food. And enjoy your first apartment. It's such a great time of your life.